About 15 minutes after the polls closed Tuesday, the first results popped up on the Board of Elections website. I was at a party for candidate Tony Preckwinkle on the south side and was talking to Teachers Union President Jesse Sharkey. Lightfoot with 76 percent, Preckwinkle with 24 percent. Okay, so three to one. I, look, it's uh, my sense in the neighborhoods is that it's a wave anti-establishment election. The numbers didn't budge much from there. And by 8 o'clock... Welcome back. You're listening to WBEZ's live election coverage. The top of the ticket has been called. Lori Lightfoot will be the first black woman to serve as mayor of Chicago. It was a landslide for Lightfoot. You know, when we started this journey 11 months ago, nobody gave us much of a chance. We were up against powerful interests, a powerful machine and a powerful mayor. But I remembered something Martin Luther King said when I was very young. Faith, he said, is taking the first step when you can't see the staircase. Melissa Conyers Irvin won the seat of Chicago Treasurer, meaning the city now has three women of color running it. And the city council? Well, we'll dig into that more, but here are the numbers. Three more incumbents lost their seats, and three are in races too close to call. Add that to the incumbents ousted in February, and a handful of retirements, and it looks like at least 20% of the council seats will have fresh faces in them come May. Hey, everybody. This is On Background, the WBEZ politics podcast. Joining me today to talk about what's next for Mayor-elect Lightfoot, Chicago's new city council and city residents are WBEZ's Dan Mihalopoulos and Claudia Morrell. Hi, guys. Hey, Becky. Hi. Happy election week. We survived. We did it. Yay. Yay. We're alive. (laughs) All right. All right. So let's just talk first about um, this huge win for Lori Lightfoot. And I want to start with one of the themes of her campaign, which was bring in the light, root out corruption, anti-establishment. And we have heard this before, that the Chicago machine is dead or it's crumbled. We heard it in 1979. We heard it in 1983. And we heard it again this week. Dan, Claudia, is the machine finally dead? So we have to define machine, okay, first of all. <laughs> and to me, a machine is uh, is the, the Cook County Democratic Party or other uh, political groups like the ones that were set up when, when Rich Daly was the mayor, which are, you know, the conduits or, or which are dispensing patronage. So somebody works for your campaign, you get them a job. And obviously that's been curtailed tremendously, if not completely. It's been said before, like you, you said, so I'm hesitant to, to say it again now and be proven wrong in mm-hmm. some future date. But I, I don't think that there really is a machine. What is left are, are chunks of the machine, are different components of the machine. Uh, a lot of them were aligned with Tony Preckwinkle at some point, I guess, uh, because she's the Cook County Democratic uh, chairwoman. I think she just prefers chair, actually. But be that as it may, uh, that didn't bring much for her. And in fact, I think 
in a change election like this and with a throw out the bums environment among the electorate, I, I think it was more of uh, something that harmed her than helped her. And that was pretty obvious even before the results came in and she was trounced. If you define the machine as the hierarchy of the Cook County Democratic Party chairman at the top and the 50 ward organizations across the city as, you know, the deputies of that chair, then, yeah, it's dead because when you see the results of how this election played out, by the sheer fact that she was the chair of the party, she should have had a representative in every ward who would have gotten out the vote for her, and that didn't happen. I mean, she did she pretty remarkably. Ward. Yeah, she didn't even win her own ward. Right. And she is the committeeman of that ward, the fourth ward. Let's talk a little bit about how Lori Lightfoot secured such a huge win. Dan, Claudia, what, what led to that? 50 wards, 74 percent of the vote. How did Lori Lightfoot, who has no real power within this machine, get that? Well, I think, again, it's a change election and uh, people are looking for something different. People are looking for a fresh face. Add to it a corruption scandal at City Hall, one of the endless scandals, as Lori Lightfoot called it, uh, which hit you know, right in election season, really a couple of months before the first round of balloting on February the 26th, uh, there was the um, the case against Alderman Burke that implicated a number of the, I guess Lightfoot called it the Burke Four. So there were 14 candidates in the first round and four of them are, are tainted by associations at various levels with Ed Burke over the years. Preckwinkle foremost among them because there's a reference to her in the case against mm-hmm. Burke, she's not referenced by name, but they said that uh, Burke muscled a contribution for uh, someone and it was Preckwinkle. Uh, we all know that. So in, in an environment like this, Lori Lightfoot is the person who's an outsider and that's an advantage. Still, she had to put together a campaign apparatus, uh, especially in the runoff. She squeezes into the runoff with uh, 17.5%. I mean, she finished first, but that's 17.5%. So how does she then get the rest of the vote? A couple things happen. You know, one is a lot of the people that got the, the majority of the vote between them uh, but but didn't make the runoff side with her. And then you get an environment here in Chicago where uh, everybody wants to be on the inside, everybody except us journalists, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have all these people gravitating toward her, and it's a sort of a bandwagon effect. And so you even have people who were supportive of Rahm Emanuel who were very close. Rahm Emanuel's personal attorney had a fundraiser for Lori Lightfoot. Does that mean that Rahm wanted Lori Lightfoot to win? I, I don't think so. I, I think we all know that uh, he, he certainly didn't want somebody uh, who had uh, decided to challenge his reelection to become his successor. But a lot of the people that were supporting Rahm jump onto the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Before we leave the idea of whether or not the machine is dead, does Chicago still have a culture of backscratching, of I do something for you, so you'll do something for me? And did we see that play out? Dan, in the people who lined up behind Lori Lightfoot thinking maybe this will pay off for them. Absolutely. I I think there are all sorts of uh, people who, um, you know, they want to be on the ends no matter who's in or out on the fifth floor. They want to have that connection. They have interests, business interests and and whatnot. But uh, certainly they feel that it's better to be uh, connected with uh, the mayor, to have clout there than to not have it. 
and uh, there are many people that will will never uh, believe that that cloud is dead, even if the machine uh, as it existed for so many generations is dead. Claudia, you covered Lightfoot's campaign. What would you say about how they ran that operation and what they did to to lead to such a stunning victory? Well, I think that she benefited uh, before the general election. She benefited from a really crowded field. So she was able to kind of stay out of the spotlight while the um, top level candidates, the ones with the most name recognition, uh, really just threw a lot of mud at each other and really got nasty. And she was able to stay above the fray. And then once it became just a competition between her and Tony Preckwinkle, you know, she was really good at being very critical of Preckwinkle and her party ties and her longstanding, you know, reputation as a career politician in Chicago. How do you think Lightfoot will be as leader of the city council? You know, that'll that'll be interesting um, because you will have a lot of freshman aldermen who will be coming in or aldermen that are, you know, starting their second term. And you see a winnowing field of aldermen who've been around since the daily years, uh, like Carrie Austin and Ed Burke. And I'm wondering, like, how those two aldermen will go up against Lori Lightfoot and how the committee chairs will be decided. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the transition. Um Her first test may actually come this coming week. We have a big vote Monday and I guess again Wednesday in the city council over the uh, Lincoln Yards project, which we've talked about on On Background. And that committee has 10 lame duck aldermen of the 35 people on the committee. Will Lori Lightfoot step in and make a statement on this? Or do you anticipate that she'll flex her new muscle? as as transitioning mayor? I don't think she will, because if it passes, she has the ability to say, well, that was something that happened under my predecessor, and it has nothing to do with me, and I've already spoken against it. And for the lame duck aldermen, whether or not, you know, they are going to vote against it or for the TIF funding, um, I don't see what would be in it for them to vote against it. If anything, they would have more to lose because, you know, one thing I've seen at City Hall is, you know, when an alderman loses, somehow they just manage to find a job at City Hall in the water department or in streets (laughs) and sanitation or at a lobbying firm. And, you know, DPD is one department you do not want to go up against. All right. Um, Speaking of the transition, we obviously heard a lot of talk about tackling corruption. And Dan, I'm wondering what can Lori Lightfoot really do about this once she's in office come May? We heard on election night, Lori Lightfoot made a a pretty um, big promise, which is that she will never, ever allow politicians to profit from their positions of public trust again. That uh, is going to be difficult, but she can start with passing some of the reform measures that Rahm Emanuel was pushing at the 11th hour during the lame duck period of of his administration and that he couldn't get through. There are ways that you can prevent uh, aldermen from having outside positions like Ed Burke had with his property tax appeal practice, uh, perhaps. Uh, But it's really difficult to do that because once you start prohibiting the aldermen 
from profiting outside of their salaries as aldermen. And once you start cracking down on corruption, and she knows where it is. She's a former federal prosecutor. She knows how this works. She even prosecuted an alderman uh, back in Silver Shovel in the 90s. I think once you start doing that, though, you know, you you risk losing their support on other issues. And I think when you attack the culture of corruption, uh, you're really attacking a culture of go along, get along, see no evil. And we've seen that with Rahm Emanuel, I think, in that he himself uh, has not been accused of malfeasance. And I think compared to Daly, certainly before him, relatively few of his aides uh, have gotten in trouble with notable exceptions like Barbara Bird Bennett, the, the school's chief. Mm-hmm. But, but at the end of the day, I think Rahm Emanuel knew what was going on uh, to some extent. Uh, obviously, he knew Ed Burke had a practice on the side. Maybe he thought Ed Burke was towing the line and not crossing the line into illegality. And the courts will prove whether he actually did. But I think uh, what happened was rather than confront an Ed Burke, you decide to to make peace with them and and turn a blind eye to some things, or or at least not not involve yourself and find out uh, what's going on there. So is is Lori Lightfoot going to come yeah. in and go after people that are doing things wrong? Uh, you know, like Jesus Christ going into the temple and calling out the money lenders. Um, I think it's hard to imagine a mayor doing that and continuing to get support from the council for her agenda. There's the politics and the choices she'll have to make there set against the backdrop of policy that she wants to implement, is what you're saying. Well, you need the legislative branch, definitely, to some extent. And if you're just there um, attacking all of them and the way that they do things and the way that they make the majority of their money in some cases, it could be difficult for her to to accomplish that. And she has a, a number of policy platforms that are very important to her. Obviously, police uh, police reform has been a big issue for her. Her background is all in police reform. Claudia, what do you see being first on her agenda? I think um, the police contract, uh, the contract with the FOP, I That's am- the union that represents police? Yeah, the union that represents all rank-and-file Chicago police officers. Uh, their contract is about two years, three years old now. And a lot of the reforms that are written in the consent decree and that were addressed in the DOJ report and in Lori Lightfoot's Police Accountability Task Force report uh, all boil down to certain aspects of the contract as it relates to um, how long you can keep records for police officers, uh, when they can be interviewed after a police-involved shooting. And I think she has the unique perspective of knowing uh, both sides because she was the president of the police board and once ran the city agency that investigated cases of police misconduct. So I will be interested in looking at how she handles that. And I think that it also stems into the city's finances. You know, she talks a lot about how much the city spends on police-involved settlements. A lot of that has to do with um, really bad training at the police department. You mentioned the city's finances, too. What do we know about what she's going to do to close this year's budget deficit? That I I don't know. Um, But I was very interested in her plan to remove the city treasurer and clerk's office and kind of fold them into the executive branch. But I don't see how she could do that in a year or even in the next four years. We don't know. I mean, we've asked all the candidates, just as we asked Rahm Emanuel back in 2011, when the city had even larger uh, annual budget deficits that it was facing uh, at times. And everybody wants to dodge this question as a candidate 
in a few months, she's going to have to come up with a detailed plan that balances uh, expenditures and uh, revenues. And she has rejected a number of uh, ideas uh, as being uh, things that she doesn't want to do, uh, an income tax, I think a LaSalle Street tax and and no some of the property taxes. I think she said no to that. Yeah, she said no to property taxes very significantly for, for a lot of uh, homeowners and property owners across the city. But what will she do? She's talking a little bit about taxing uh, marijuana, uh, taxing uh, luxury services like law firms, uh, the law firm that she used to work at, Mayor mm-hmm. Brown. Uh, I still don't see how, how the, the balance uh, will uh, shake out yet. And let's shift to the city council because we're going to have a lot of new faces trying to tackle the city's financial problems, uh, police reform, a lot of issues that the city is going to take on um, with a pretty freshman council. What are the numbers? How did this shake out? Who wants to break this down for us? There have been, um, what, six incumbents, I think, who were running for re-election and lost, and three of them are in races that are still too close to call where there's more ballots being counted and possibly recounts to come, uh, you know, separated by a few dozen votes in some cases. But there have been some very significant uh, incumbents who have been defeated despite the support of Mayor Emanuel and some of his allies like the charter school groups. Uh, Pat O'Connor was his floor leader for this mayor who's leaving as well as the one before him, Daly. Uh, And Pat O'Connor lost to a socialist uh, named Andre Vasquez, who's one of I guess six Democratic Socialist uh, members of the council, and there are others that were endorsed by the Democratic Socialists. So we could have a more left-leaning council with a number of people that identify as socialists or progressives. Is it socialists and/or progressives? I should say, because where's the line between the socialists <laughs> right. and the progressives? Claudia, you mentioned council wars. This was a period in the uh, 80s when Chicago's first black mayor, Harold Washington, was on the fifth floor. And there was a block of aldermen, 29 aldermen led by Ed Verdoliak, who kind of blocked everything he tried to accomplish. Do you see these new members of the council having enough numbers to create a similar environment where they either push policies or they block policies or they have this really strong voice? Do we have the numbers there? So I'm kind of on the fence on this because I I really don't know. After watching the last four years with Carlos Ramirez Rosa, the first alderman on the city council to to be a self-described democratic socialist, uh, he made a lot of waves uh, at City Hall and he made a lot of enemies. I mean, he was kicked off the Latino caucus because he tried to block the police uh, training academy in West Garfield Park. And I thought that that vote was a really good example of the different kind of you know deals that you need to make at City Hall where – Aldermen, especially ones that have been there for a long time, and look at all the West Side aldermen who won outright in February, and they even said that uh, back when that development was going through last month, where they said, you know, elections matter, and you lost, so you know, put up or shut up, and we're going to do what we want to do. And I don't think that freshmen will really have the numbers 
to go up against aldermen like Harry Austin, aldermen like Emma Mitts, aldermen like Anthony Beal, who have gone on record telling Rosa to learn the job before he goes and dictates how they should do their job. But a lot of these new freshmen align with the new mayor. So will that affect how how things get done or play out in City Hall? There's a couple things that I think uh, argue against the possibility of any sort of massive confrontation between a big group of aldermen and the new mayor. One is she won with huge, huge numbers in a lot of the wards where these aldermen were elected. And so these aldermen are looking at a mayor who won 70 and in many wards more than 80 percent. I think it was as high as 85% in some wards. So they know that this mayor is popular in their wards. And despite the fact that she came into the race a year, nearly a year ago as an outsider, by the time we get to the final stages of the runoff, very significant number, 16 aldermen endorsed Lightfoot. That was more than Preckwinkle, who used to serve on the council and has some old friends there (laughs) and is the party chair. And and a lot of these aldermen are committeemen of the Democratic Party. And she had 13 endorsements to Lightfoot's 16. So let's not forget that there are, as we've seen with some of the ROM people who are gravitating toward Lightfoot, we also have aldermen who are really the ultimate yes men and women in this town of yes men and women. All right. One last time for this podcast, I'm going to ask you two to tell me your favorite best tape of the entire election season. My best tape um, is from election night, and I didn't even get it. It was Chip Mitchell, and it was Alderman Ariel Roboris celebrating his victory against Jessica Gutierrez. And he is really passionate. The entire northwest side of the legislative district was against me. Everyone should know that. I walked my ward three times. I knew every street when I was working. That's why you won. That's Alderman Ariel Roboiris, and he's been on the council since 2003. All right, Dan, what about you? I like this piece of tape that was recorded by uh, Greg Pratt from the Tribune at a Lori Lightfoot event on the last weekend of the campaign. I just like any time when we see uh, the diverse communities of Chicago expressing themselves in their own manners, uh, their love for these candidates. So that was a, a, a group of Lori Lightfoot supporters in Englewood, and they were saying, Lori Lightfoot, bring in the light, which is her campaign slogan, bring in the light to Chicago's neighborhoods. So, All right. Thanks, guys. Um, I'm going to throw one in. This is a, a little piece of tape that Linda Lutton got on Election Day up in my home ward, the 46th uh, uptown. Aldermanic race still too close to call right now. But this is a woman outside the polls Encouraging folks to vote. vote. Everyone vote, please. City of Chicago, it is election day. The polls are open till 7. Come and cast your vote. Your vote is important. Now, unfortunately, turnout was kind of low. It was less than 30 percent so far. And in February, it was also around 30, 35 percent. But I just loved this 
woman just imploring Chicago to make a choice in this election. All right, Dan, Claudia, thank you guys so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. That's a wrap, friends. On Background is Sunsetting after today. It's been a great joy and a labor of love for all of us on the politics team at WBEZ. But alas, decisions get made and we all must move on. Reporting for this episode comes from all the reporters on our desk. Tony Arnold, Linda Lutton, Dave McKinney, Dan Mihalopoulos, Claudia Morell, Kristen Schorsch, and me, Becky Vivi. Also, thanks to all the WBEZ staff who stepped up to help us cover this crazy election cycle. That includes Susie Ahn, Miles Bryan, Adriana Cardona, Max Green, Shannon Heffernan, Sarah Karp, Kate McGee, Chip Mitchell, Natalie Moore, Michael Puente, Elliot Ramos, Carrie Shepard, Patrick Smith, Mariah Wolfel, and Maria Zamudio. Our editors are the superhuman, fantastic Kate Cahan and Alex Keefe. Thanks to our podcast producers, Justin Bull and James Edwards. And shout out to Brendan Banaszak, Kevin Dawson, and Steve Edwards for supporting On Background since last August. Don't worry, we're still here. You can continue to follow all of WBEZ's political coverage at wbez.org politics and always on air at 91.5 FM. Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at WBEZ Politics. I'm not dead. What? Nothing. Here's your ninepence. I'm not dead. Yeah. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't? Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Oh, I can't take him like that. It's against regulations. I don't want to go. <laughs>